the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for finally noticing. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is 9.33. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's dive into the business at hand now. I want to welcome uh, State Senator Jerry Serino to our program. Uh, Senator Serino has uh, got a lot of important things to discuss on what happened this week at the Ohio State House. But, Senator, first of all, good morning. It's good to have you. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm going to ask everybody who is uh, uh, concerned about this country their opinion of what happened last night. Before we get into the State House and uh, SB 83 and other things, uh, did you watch the press conference with the president last night, and what are your oh, thoughts? I certainly did. I, I, I think, Bob, yesterday was an extremely informative day for the American people. It started with the Supreme Court um, uh, uh, hearing uh, on the, the, the really on the, the issue of the Colorado lawsuit and, and keeping or attempting to, to take Trump off the ballot. Uh, I think the uh, listening to the, uh, uh, the, the, the questions that were being asked by the various Supreme Court justices, including the liberals, uh, it was very informative and pretty clear that they're going to likely come out with a 9-0 and uh, a decision against uh, Colorado or any individual state's ability to take a candidate off the ballot. But in terms of the press conference, I, I sat in amazement. I've been in the communications business uh, for a long time, even when I, before I got into politics, and I could not believe that his that he held the press conference the way he did. I was expecting an Oval Office. Uh, address with no reporters, no questions, uh, allowing him the opportunity to very, in a very scripted way, state his opinion and refute the findings of the special counsel. But when I saw that he was going to be at a podium with a room full of uh, pretty unhappy reporters who were called in at nine o'clock at night to the White House, um, I just, I just sat there in, in amazement that his staff actually let him do this and exposed him this way. Although I do believe, as I just heard you talking about uh, sort of the, your theory on on this being a setup, yeah. uh, that that is a very, very plausible theory, I think. Well, it is something that I think the Republicans should uh, should join in, to be quite honest with you, because, you know, I'm I'm pondering. Uh, how this whole thing plays out, Jerry or Senator, and I, I look at, um, I look at the 25th Amendment. Um, I look at grounds for in, uh, invoking it. Uh, I read that special counsel's report and some of the very specific things that say if this man cannot participate in his own defense at a jury trial, which would make it almost impossible to get an acquittal that would stand on a P or a conviction that would stand up on appeal because he is uh, you know a good well-meaning old man with a really really bad memory if that's why he cannot stand trial that's why he cannot serve as president the 25th amendment should be in play and i think the republicans should invoke it immediately and here's why if they invoke it and get him removed 
um, uh, you know, it's going to take a couple of months anyway. Um, we can survive six months of Kamala Harris between now and November. We can survive six months of that nonsense. It won't change much from what we already have with him. And then Kamala becomes their default nominee. She becomes right. the, the, the incumbent uh, president who is going to be their nominee. And I don't think she has a chance in hell of beating uh, a snowball in Honolulu in an election. Uh, in a general election, she is despised. She is her, her approval rating is even far, far worse than Biden's. She's underwater. Everybody knows they cannot stand listening to her. I think we need to get her in office ASAP. Let her let her uh, stand there for the next six months and then stand up uh, for re-election. Well, I think uh, Bob, the same Democrats who have, are who you know theoretically could be putting together this whole scenario here uh, realize that and realize that uh, Harris, uh, even for a short time, would certainly be a disaster for their party and uh, virtually hand over the White House to the Republicans uh, in November. Um, I don't know. They, they have there's a number of different approaches. You know, the, the 25th Amendment uh, needs to be invoked by the cabinet. Uh, pressure can be put on the cabinet to to do so. But um, uh, I think more more than likely, Bob, it, it's going to be a situation where uh, Biden drops out of the race stays as president as long as he can put a sentence together, which may not be too long, but it may last till November and, and put all of the focus on whoever their replacement candidate is. The, the Democrats are in a tough spot because if, if they don't pick Harris as that candidate replacing him on the, uh, 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 for the party, they're going to get significant pushback from the progressives and the far left of the party, which is most of the party these days. Um, and if they pick somebody else, then that person is going to be viewed as an anti-Kamala uh, Harris person. So the Democrats are not faced with a lot of good alternatives at this point. And I think that's just fine because this country needs to change its direction. And they are, none of them are the people that are going to put us in the right direction. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that's why I think it's up to the Republicans to push this further and faster, uh, by, by going for the 25th Amendment. Because if we let them do what I described at the beginning, and that is begin their great replacement to the point where they strategize when he steps aside and when his replacement at the top of the ticket is chosen in a, in a vote by the DNC, um, they control it all. They control the narrative. And yes, they're in a tough spot. They have to figure out what to do with Kamala. And I'll, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a theory, nothing more now, but, the only way you survive pushing aside a a, a uh, female person of color who is the vice president is to replace her with another female of color like Michelle Obama, which would be the third term of Barack Obama, essentially. And I don't want to give them the opportunity to do that. I want the Republicans to strike first, invoke the 25th Amendment, make her ascend to the throne now, then see if they can push her out when she's an incumbent. I don't think they could. So that's just a... That's just, uh, Political strategery, I suppose, and we're going to see how it plays out. Let's get to uh, Columbus now. Uh, Speaker Marin, uh, or excuse me, should have been Speaker Marin, tweeted yesterday <laughs> about Wednesday. Uh, Jason Stevens refused to recognize 30 Republicans trying to offer a motion to have an SB 83 vote. It is so important. It passed easily. You and I have talked about this numerous times now. It passed out of the requisite committees on the House side. Jason Stevens refused to allow it to come to a vote. The Blue 22 stayed in their seats, according to Mayor, and watched conservatives battle for a vote and offered no help whatsoever. You're the author and the, the chief sponsor of 83, uh, uh, Senator Serino. What say you now? Well, it's uh, it, this is a, a really interesting dilemma because uh, what what 
in the in the House, if the Speaker does not put something on the agenda uh, and fifty members sign a letter, uh, it's a, it's a it's a discharge motion. It's called, which would automatically put it on the floor. Uh, the signatures, there were 29 signatures. There were a couple of members who I know would have signed that were not present uh, at the time. Um, and that's one strategy of a way to get, get something put uh, on the agenda. But I, I think uh, I think what's going to happen now is that uh, the Speaker has said that this bill is, is, uh, is a uh, priority bill for him. And I've, I've had conversations. I spent an hour speaking with him uh, back before Christmas, explaining the all the elements of the bill. And disposing of some of the misunderstandings uh, that were out there about the bill. This is critical for higher education reform in the state of Ohio. We need to get our arms around this woke environment, this monolithic liberal thought process that is being propagated at our universities, our state universities. Uh, and, and, and Senate Bill 83 is, is probably the most important, other than the budgets, which are very important, of course. But from a policy standpoint, I think it's going to be the most important bill that we pass this year, and I believe it will pass. And we're keeping, we're redoubling our efforts. I know, Bob, that we have in excess of 55 votes uh, out there, probably closer to 60, uh, that would that would support this bill if it gets on the floor. So we're continuing to put pressure and and in uh, in make you know have our our folks make phone calls uh, to try to get this. The problem is that. By not putting it on the House agenda this week, uh, what they've done is they're not meeting again until April. So this is this is done until the primary is finished, uh, and we'll see what happens after that. The primary's got lots of question marks in it for a lot of members, um, but uh, I am not going to back down on 83. I've worked on this for next month will be a year since I introduced it, uh, which in legislative terms isn't terribly terribly long, but. We need to we need to move on this pretty quickly. Uh, there's growing support for it, especially with the DEI issues uh, that we're seeing play out now in the anti-Israeli uh, sentiment on campuses. So, uh, 83 is uh, is I'm going to make sure it happens. We're just it's just a question of when at this point. Well, I mean, pardon my my cynicism for this, but how how do you budge Stevens when he is very clearly rewarding or paying back, if you will, the Democrats? Um, who who gave him his gavel? I mean, literally, the Speaker Steele had to have some sort of uh, you know a, a quid pro quo here. Uh, you get the power, and you do things we want. You know as well as I do that every single Democrat in that House, and probably every single Democrat on the Senate side, uh, hates the idea of interrupting woke colleges and universities, interrupting CRT right. and DEI and SEL and all of the other crap. They are opposed uh, vehemently to intellectual and ideological diversity. They don't want that on the campuses. They don't want that being available to students. And so this is this is Jason Stevens, uh, you know, putting up the wall. He's building a wall between a popular and very necessary bill and the colleges because that's what the Democrats are demanding he do in exchange, partially, for his his power. Well, Bob, I know from personal discussions that there are quite a few of what we would call this Blue 22, and I think there's five of the Blue 22, the the original group, that are either termed out or not running again. So it's not even 22 anymore. 17 but of them are with, facing re-election yeah, right now, yes. Correct. I, and, and there are many primaries that are gonna, that are already in play. Um, I've <laughs> talked with a number of the Blue 22s uh, that are still able to vote, um, and uh, there's a lot of support for my bill in that, 
Okay. Uh, and so that's where we come up with the, you know, 55 or excess of 55 votes that we believe we have. Um, we don't need the Democrats. And, 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 and we never did. And I never anticipated that this bill would appeal to any of the Democrats. Okay. They, they have a view that these colleges and universities that are taxpayer and tuition supported, that they should be indoctrination centers for progressive ideology. Of course, they're not going to agree to any kind of reform or putting a damper on their objectives. So, so we never anticipated or expected any Democrat support for this. Um, we have enough Republicans to get this done. Uh, I'm, I'm not, but, but, but so, Senator, for, Senator, for, uh, forgive me, but I, mean, I know that. I know you don't need them, but I'm saying that's why Jason Stevens won't do it. Jason Stevens won't do it because they made him promise not to let this thing come for a vote. And these 22 you're talking about, which you're counting on to be a part of that 50 or 55 or whatever that number is going to be, sat there and did nothing to assist. That conspiracy is not a conspiracy when you see it in front of your eyes playing out. You knew, of course, you're right. You didn't count on any Democrat right. support, but you had to count on some of those 22 trans Democrats who are identifying as such and literally playing that right. role right now, including Stevens. Well, and and you know you're raising good questions, Bob. Certainly, uh, but I, I, you know, since they're not going to meet until after the primary, I think they're depending on how primaries go. Uh, that uh, some of the dynamics may change. And um, I'm, an, I'm a patient person in, in many respects, uh, and this bill is so important. This is a massive reform bill for higher education. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm willing to wait some time if we have to. Uh, and, and that includes, you know, using, in the meantime, our power of the purse to push for some reforms before we continue to write big checks for our universities. And that's what I'm doing with the budget process. Uh, and I, I've asked uh, all of the presidents of the 14 universities, public universities, to come into my committee and uh, justify how they're going to, why we should give them another $300 million, which the House passed this week, by the way, without hearings, um, and, and, uh, and make, make them justify the, the expenditures and to tell us how they're doing things in, from a policy perspective before we hand over the money. So even without 83 being law yet, we are, we are moving the dial and beginning to exercise uh, 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 activities that are causing some changes to begin uh, to occur through the trustees and through the college presidents. Um, we're talking with State Senator Jerry Serino this morning on AM 1420, the answer about the uh, disastrous day on uh, Capitol Hill, <clears throat> in my view, anyway, or not Capitol Hill, I beg your pardon, in the Ohio State House on the, in the, cap, in the uh, state capitol. Um, let's talk more about that budget. Uh, they're calling it HB 2 billion because uh, this is the number that they came up with. And, and that $700 million of discretionary spending money, which is essentially defied, if I understood it correctly, is divided 350 for Senate districts or House districts rather, and 350 million for Senate districts. And again, uh, I, I, when I talked to uh, Brian Stewart yesterday, he said there were 15 counties that didn't get a nickel 
But the 22, the blue 22 districts, all got fat and happy. So this is how they fight back against these primaries. People are going to want to primary them for what they did. They're going to want to primary them for, you know, not passing 83 or supporting 83 yesterday. But they're going to come back and say, look at how much money I brought back to our district. And that's going to offset the, uh, the damage that is done here. So am I understanding that right? And, and, and does this have to go through the Senate now too before it can be, uh, before it can be approved? Okay, so well, it does. That, when does that happen? There's a, there's a great deal of confusion on this, and it was it was un, a very unfortunate because the 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 bill that was passed by the House is a theoretical appropriation because until we reconcile things with the Senate, um, you know there is no there's no spending. There's no, they can go out and, and tout how much they got for their various uh, 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 counties or organizations, but it is theoretical. The Senate has not acted. And the governor, of course, hasn't signed the, the budget bill yet. Um, so, the um, again, as I said before, the, the bill that they passed, there was no agreement. There has never been an agreement of splitting the $700 million special one-time community fund 50-50 between the House and the Senate. There was never such an agreement. In fact, the, the Senate president had to send uh, a memorandum out uh, to all the members on February 7th this week explaining that there was no there was no agreement on this and there have been no negotiations or even discussions between the house and members of the senate or or the senate president and the speaker um there needs to be debate you can't hand out this kind of money uh and still try to tell taxpayers that we're being responsible um if if there's no discussions and no hearings on this so let me give you an example bob in the what the house passed this week they have 400, almost $400 million for higher education, right? Okay, that's what the higher education organizations ask for. Mm-hmm. We're just going to hand them what they ask for without asking any questions. My, my committee in April, starting in April, we are going to hear in the higher ed committee in the, in the Senate, we're going to hear from all 14 university presidents um, uh, about why they, they have to justify the spending that they're uh, looking to get uh, from the spending bill uh, in, in the capital budget, and they have to explain, uh, answer a lot of questions about policy, forecast of their budgets in the future, and that sort of thing, things that are fiscally responsible to do. The House didn't do any of that. No. And so so the Senate is simply following the timetable that we announced in December. We're going to take these, these uh, budget uh, items up starting in mid-April, and we'll probably pass a budget bill. The goal is to do it in June or July if we have to. Uh, and that's the that's the right. But then the problem. But then the through. problem is, Senator. And, and by the way, you're right. I agree with 100 percent of what you're saying. That is the right way to do it. But then the problem is, is in between then and now is is the primary. So these, you know, like Representative Stewart said to me yesterday, you know, these, these they're all going back and they're trumpeting their successes and look what I brought home to the district, knowing full well that you have to do this in April on your side. and uh, But in the meantime, you know, they're going to be judged based on that by people who don't understand that maybe at the end of the day, maybe come April, that money's not actually there. Maybe it was a mirage. Maybe they didn't give you the full story. And, well, uh, and that's, I think, that's the I think problem. That primary challengers uh, need to need to be armed with this information that I just went through with you yeah. and explained uh, explain in their in their campaign uh, uh, messaging that uh, that uh, you know this is this is a again as I said before a theoretical budget appropriation uh, it, it so 
Some of it may stand. Some of it may end up in the final budget. But that's a long way. That's months away from happening. Uh, and um, I, I think it, it's in the campaign process, uh, both sides are going to do their best to convey to the public that they've done something great. But I think, again, uh, people challenging some of the, uh, the Blue 22 folks uh, need to make sure that they point out that this budget was not done in consultation with the Senate at all. Uh, uh, and that, uh, that these are theoretical in nature and nobody can count on this. I was with someone yesterday who uh, actually was a re- would be a recipient of, of some of the money from the House. And they said, so I can count on this money now, right? And I said, no, you can't. I said, you might end up getting it in, in June when we finish the budget. But right now, I would not go out and count on, on, on that money coming into you because the process is only just beginning. And so I think more and more uh, potential recipients are going to understand this. And it's going to take a little bit of the argument away from some of the folks who are touting that they went out and got big dollars for their districts. Yeah. Uh, when, in fact, it, it, again, is theoretical in nature. I certainly hope that is the case. Well, Senator Jerry Serino, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on to talk about this. It is a shame what they are doing. You should absolutely have massive support for Senate Bill 83, and I believe you would if we didn't have a bunch of cowards and Democrats acting as Republicans, uh, or rather Republicans governing like Democrats and agreeing to uh, to do their bidding to, to stop that from coming up for a vote. I'm glad you are dedicated to finishing that job, though. We appreciate you coming on very much, and thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Have a great day. You got it. Thanks, Senator. Senator Jerry Serino on AM 1420, The Answer. It is uh, criminal what Jason Stevens is doing. It is criminal what the Blue 22 or trans Dems are doing. Uh, and I can't decide, by the way, if they should be trans Dems or trans Republicans. Are they actual Democrats that are trying to transition into Republicans? I don't think so. I think I have it right. They're Republicans, but they're transitioning into Democrats with the things that they're doing. Um and uh, refusing to help bring 83 to a vote, refusing to sign that uh, petition uh, uh, that was 30 strong, that could have been 50 strong or 55 strong, in order to bring that to a vote to demand that the Speaker act on this is simply criminal. But this is what happens when you get in bed with the devil. You better plan on being screwed. Um, you know, and that's just the reality of it. The Democrats are, are, uh, the Republicans are, are joining with the Democrats and, uh, the people that are, that are technically being screwed are the people of Ohio who would have, who, who would be treated and served correctly and fairly by, by a true discussion, uh, and a responsible allocation of dollars when it comes to the budget bill, the two billion dollars. And who would certainly be served better by having our colleges and universities return to uh, institutions of uh, uh, education as opposed to indoctrination and ideological freedom and ideological diversity instead of left-wing echo chambers that turn your kids into something that you don't even recognize when they come home for their first break. And I cannot tell you how many people I know who suffered through this. And I'm talking about family members. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about uh, just acquaintances that know me from the radio that will talk to me. And they'll talk about this. And they'll say, you know, you're so lucky that your daughter went to Hillsdale. Our daughter went to XYZ Ohio universities and schools. That's not OU, although that's one of them. But meaning universities and colleges in Ohio. You know, we sent them off in August and dropped them off and decorated their dorm room and everything else. Then they came home for Thanksgiving break and they hated us. And they believed that everything that we taught them was a lie and so on and so forth. I hear it all the time. It's because of what's allowed on campuses. Uh, Senate Bill 83, Jerry Serino's bill would, would counter that, would eliminate that. And that's why the Democrats oppose it. 
That's why they have forced J- uh, Jason Stevens' hand into not bringing it for a vote. It is criminal. Every one of them should be bounced the hell out of Columbus uh, with extreme prejudice. Prejudice, And I'm talking about every one of the trans Dems, Jason Stevens, the Speaker, and, uh, and every one of the Democrats, too. We know that's not going to happen, but that's what needs to happen. All right. It is uh, 9.55. We've got a top-of-the-hour break coming on the other side of that. Oh, what do we have coming up here? Uh, next we have, oh, we're going to talk to Max Miller. How about that? Congressman Miller watched, I'm sure, last night with great interest, watched the meltdown of uh, Joseph R. Biden, and was also there for all of those important votes this week on border issues, funding issues, uh, uh, supplementals, and more. We'll talk to him next. BringingAmericaBackToLife.org or call 440-529-4836. That's 440-529-4836. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two underway now, seven minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this ninth morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. In addition, I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented. I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day we... Our Lady of Every Memorial Day. He lost his train of thought in the middle of defending his train of thought. He can't remember anything. He can't remember when he was vice president, according to the special counsel, Robert Herr. He can't remember when he began. He can't remember when it ended. He can't remember when his son died. He can't remember where he got that rosary. He can't remember who the chancellor of Germany is or was when he spoke to that person at the G7. He can't remember who the leader of France was. He talks to dead people. He looks for dead people in crowds. He is so mentally and cognitively infirm that he cannot possibly be convicted at a trial. The jury would feel too badly for how feeble and old and poor his memory is. That's what the, that's what the um, special counsel said. Yet, a man who is too feeble and infirm and cognitively challenged and memory-deprived is supposed to continue to be the most powerful man in the world for the next uh, 10 months until January, and then he wants four more years to do it after that. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is facing is facing four different sets of felony indictments, 91 charges in total, and a Supreme Court in Colorado, and secretaries of state in, in 14 other states that want to bounce him off of the ballot. This is the state of this country right now. Somebody make that make sense. 
Uh, let's see if Matt, Max Miller can do that. Max Miller is, of course, Ohio's 7th Congressional District Representative. He joins us now to talk about a very hectic week on the Hill and a very bizarre night last night at the Oval Office or at the White House. Uh, uh, Congressman Miller, good to have you back on the program. How are you? Thanks for having me, Bob. I'm doing okay. I mean, it was, uh, you know, just got in, getting back to uh, Cleveland on Wednesday evening after a very, you know, short but tough week in Congress. And then just watching the president last night, uh, you know, it, it's unbelievable to me that a prosecutor can say that they can't uh, prosecute him because he's not mentally cognitive enough. Yet, to your point, he's president of the United States. And while I do feel bad about his son's passing uh, of cancer, I do believe, and not on the battlefield, as he has said a couple of times, I want to make that clear. Um, I feel very bad for the president and what he has gone through and the loss of his son. But you're the president of the United States. And if you can't remember things and you are making decisions for hundreds of millions of Americans, of consequential decisions, it is no wonder, Bob, that this country is the way that it is with this man in charge of it. And from what we saw last night, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's something that I believe we all knew from the beginning. And it's what President Trump said, that Joe Biden was going to be a Trojan horse for the progressive left, that's what he has been, and he has been manipulated by his either chiefs of staff or former Obama staffers that are working in the White House. I am, I feel awful this morning and sick to my stomach knowing that this man is still president of the United States and is incredibly just tough to wake up this morning and feel good about our situation in this country, flat out. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. Um I kind of feel like he is being set up to be removed uh, on the ticket or from the ticket, um, and that last night was the first step toward that. Uh, that the powers that be that you know that that pull his strings and sit behind his throne um, threw him to the wolves last night as step one of getting him out. They know that the people are not going to stand for this. They know that his thirty-one percent approval rating is going to get him trounced. They know that this cannot continue. And so last night, I feel like, because Congressman Miller, as you well know, most of his lids are called at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. Most of his days are extraordinarily short. They never let him out at night. They certainly don't put him on prime time. They declined an interview uh, that was requested of him for the Super Bowl, where he could have a 50 million person audience. Uh, of a free campaign commercial about uh, why he should be president again, uh, you know, for the next four years, because they can't trust that he's going to look and sound like, well, what he looks and sounds like. So last night they threw him out there. They they didn't even uh, have an assembled press conference where they had pre-approved questions and he knew who he would call on. They let the wolves come at him, and I feel like he is finally being, uh, it's the first step toward casting him aside. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I, I completely agree with you, but there's one thing I think people do to take don't take into consideration, and that is Joe Biden, whether mentally cognitive or not, has ran for president several times. He has wanted this his entire life. And we also know people within our state and within the country uh, that said they would run for an office and then step down after a term or two. And there's been dozens of examples just like that. My biggest concern with Joe Biden is that, yes, he's senile, but he's also angry. And I heard a story from a few months ago that President Obama went to go visit President Biden in the White House. And this was some of the inside, you know, D.C. bubble nonsense. And that Obama told him not to run. And that Biden looked at Obama and said, that, you know, in his words, probably not like this, but thank you very much for your thoughts and concerns. I'm president. You're not. I'm going to continue to run. And they may try to set Biden up to fail. Yeah. At the end of the day, I believe this man is going to continue to run. He is going to continue to try to be president, and they may try to take him out, just as 
the left and the two-tier justice system has been trying to take out President Trump, except it's not working with him. And it is working with Biden. But I believe he's going to stay there and hang in. And this is going to get much worse before it gets much better. Well, um, that's a very interesting analysis, um, and I agree with the first part, and I think maybe even I agree with the part, which sets it up. They, they know that he's stubborn. They know that he wants to be a two-termer. Uh, you said it correctly. He ran many times. This is something he's always wanted, even though he's never been qualified for, and he's not going to go willingly. So if they can uh, you know, embarrass him to the level that they are, based on what we're watching right now, uh, and set him up last night, and if they put him in more positions like this, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in and does that Super Bowl commercial now, or Super Bowl interview now, because this is what it's going to take. He's going to have to be humiliated. He's going to have to be proven uh, that he cannot do the job. He's uh, They're going to play these tapes back for him of him su- suggesting that he talk to the president of Mexico about what he's doing about uh, the Gaza-Israel war. Uh, all of this stuff going on is going to have to be played back for him, and he's going to realize that he isn't exactly coming out looking like a rose. He tried to stand there and say, I'm the most qualified man in this country to finish what I've started, and uh, there's nothing wrong with my memory before making, what, four gaffes in four minutes. Um so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But all I do know is that if you're President Trump right now, you've got to be watching that and saying, uh, please uh, continue on. Let, let's have more of this. I mean, I would love to see more of President Biden. And I think he should continue to go on TV and do press conferences because right now he's the greatest gift to President Trump and the Republican Party in a presidential year. But the one thing about Joe Biden, and I've seen this firsthand in D.C. and even back in Ohio with you know people you know running in campaigns and some things, they're delusional, and they truly do believe what they're selling to people, except it's within their bubble, and they are not connected with the real American people. And that is what Joe Biden suffers from. He is massively, uh, he's just delusional. And there are so many people just like him in politics that when they say these things, they actually believe it, and they believe that the American people do. The problem for President Biden is that normal American, and you could be a Democrat, and you're watching that last night, You don't feel good about that, looking at your president, mumbling over words, saying that President Sisi of Mexico, President Sisi is out of Egypt. I mean, and and I know you just brought that up, but the recollection and the memory and, you know, even what you brought up earlier, the last prime minister of France, he brought up a gentleman that I think was prime minister of France before I was even born, Bob. He died 28 years ago. A couple of decades. That guy died 28 years ago. I was years old at the time. Yeah. So that's my point. At the end of the day, look, I I fundamentally do believe that Joe Biden needs to be impeached after this point. It it is very clear that he is not there. He is not cognitive enough to run the country as the world is burning around us. He has not done a single thing with the border. It is absolutely recklessness. But now I believe that the American people can finally see what people like you and I already knew, which is he's not running the country. He has no grasp of what's going on. Inflation is still raging. Interest rates are still higher than ever. And if you're a young couple out there trying to have a good start to your life, good luck affording a reasonable house and having a child to support with a dual income right now in this economy. It is, you know, make it make sense is what you said earlier. You can't make sense of any of it because they're doing this simply to destroy the fabric of our country. There's no question about it. We're talking to Max Miller, congressman from uh, from Ohio 7. So let's get into some of the stuff that happened in the House this week, because you mentioned impeaching Biden now, and, I'm to, and I, I shrug my shoulders and say, how and why? Uh, because we have a pathetic, 
absolutely pathetic Republican caucus in that uh, conference in that uh, in that in that house. We couldn't even get you guys together to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas with nine and a half million crossings in the last three years alone, and him lying to congressional committees and Senate committees again and again and again about the condition of the border that it is secure, that it is closed, and so on and so forth. We couldn't even get the Republicans to get the hell out of their own way and unite enough to impeach Mayorkas, much less try to get Biden impeached. Meanwhile, uh, after uh, the the border bill appeared to collapse, uh, you know, we got Speaker Johnson bringing a standalone, perfectly sensible and reasonable support of Israel in their very, very specific conflict in Gaza, $17.6 billion uh, uh, aid and security package to them, and 14 Republicans vote against that. Um you know, and there's no reason that should be tied to Ukraine. There's no reason that should be tied to the border, quite frankly. We can't even get Republicans together to do the most commonly sensible things that are out there. Congressman Miller, help me understand what's going on. From my perspective, and this may be a popular or unpopular perspective, but this is what I've experienced just being there for about 15 months in Congress, which is we have a group of people in our conference who put themselves before the country. And it's been, you know, individuals from across the entire spectrum of the Republican conference. And what people forget is that if you're in Congress, it's a team sport. It's not, it's not an individual sport. You're not a wrestler. You're not a swimmer. It's a team sport. You need 218 players on the field every day in lockstep that is going to pass legislation and be unified together. And we don't have it. And a big reason, and, and, and I always bring this up, but look how we got here. Speaker Johnson, he's a very good man. He is. He's a very religious man. He's a very sweet man. He's a very nice man. That's why he got the job. But what I hope that people are seeing is that Mr. Gates and his promise of giving you a more conservative speaker has ended in a smaller majority. It has brought us more spending bills than Kevin McCarthy ever put on the floor. The appropriation process has now been dead, I repeat, dead for the last Three to four months, we haven't had a single approach bill put on the floor, which means what, Bob? It means that we're going to end up, whether the speaker says it or not, there's only four ways out of this mess. And that mess is you do a one-year CR, you do an omnibus, you do a mega, or you do a couple minis that we already gave the Senate for a vehicle. And so what we need to do is literally be unified together, but that's a team mentality. And because of the actions that paralyzed Congress four or five months ago, The locker room is incredibly toxic. The analogy I give, and I'll wrap it up real quick, is, you know, look, you know, say Tom Brady is our quarterback. Say Cleveland was that lucky we had Tom Brady, okay? And say he was our quarterback and we're winning, you know, we're not not winning every Super Bowl, but, you know, we're going to the playoffs, we're, we're competitive, okay, like the Browns this year. Then all of a sudden, four players who never see the field, who sit on the bench, decide, you know what, we don't like Tom. But the other 48 players do like Tom. But those four players get to take Tom out of that locker room and off the team. And then we're supposed to just go back in and have a kumbaya. And, you know, it it hasn't really settled down, Bob, and that some of these people have been incentivized to be individualists and not team players. And so right now, if you twist the speaker's arm, you get what you want. The New Yorkers almost took down a previous question on the floor to get salt in the tax package. Now, the speaker didn't allow salt to be put in the tax package, that's state and local income tax. But what they did is they got it to be put on the floor next week. It'll maybe get 30 or 40 votes. 
But the reason I'm saying that is leadership in the Republican House has to go. From top to bottom, I said it six months ago, and I'll say it again. We need leaders that are going to have the moral courage to do what is right and to look at people and to have structured discipline and organization within the House. Because you cannot run a company, you cannot run anything in the public sector without structured discipline and organization. And we don't have it. And it is incredibly upsetting to see that. So I believe going into the later part of this Congress and in next term when we come back, we need new leadership from top to bottom because these people obviously can't lead. And the new speaker, God bless his heart, but he is really screwing this up. I mean, he could have just waited a week, Bob, to put the impeachment vote on the floor when Leader Scalise was going to be back. He already knew we had three, you know, no votes. We are doing it to ourselves, and I, it starts with leadership, and, and it really does end with leadership, and it's incredibly upsetting to see. Yeah, um, it, it is It is all of those things. I'm, uh, I'm pondering where I want to go next with this because, again, I'm very, very frustrated and angry with the Republican Party. I agree with you. You need leadership on the House side to change. I also think we need leadership on the Senate side to change as well. Um, because after the comprehensive border package, or the what you know, they kept calling it a border bill. It was horse crap. They just threw in the border as what was it, thirteen billion dollars, um, and a couple of slight policy changes in order to send another sixty billion to Ukraine, and then the ten billion to Hamas, and 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 fourteen billion to uh, to Israel in that comprehensive thing. So, you know, the Senate wasn't getting that out, obviously. So what they did do is then they went ahead and passed all of the supplementals to those countries, but no border bill at all. Um, first of all, is that going to be brought for a vote? Do you believe, um, on the house side, now that it's passed the Senate with 67 votes, I believe it is, uh, will he take that up? Will, uh, Speaker Johnson take that up and allow that for a vote? And then secondly, since that only gives the money to Ukraine and I think Taiwan gets some too, and nothing for our border, do we just sit with status quo over the next nine months until uh, there's a new president? Well, when it comes to uh, the first part, do I think that the supplemental is going to hit the floor? Uh, that is all on the speaker. And the speaker has been very clear with Steve Scalise saying that that supplemental is not going to hit the floor. But we're going to continuously get jammed by the Senate if we can't lead in the House. So yeah. to answer your second question directly, yes, we are going to be stuck where we are. And the other thing is, I mean, just to be clear, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas deserves to be impeached, but it does not fix the situation at the border. We did pass H.R. 2 several months ago, and I know people get frustrated when we talk about it, but that's been sitting up in the Senate for several months. And that was the first border package passed since the early 90s. And it is strong and it is good, and it needs to be put and signed into law and taken up by the Senate. And I believe it would possibly get the vote because Democrats know they have such a bad you know, problem with the border right now that if they want to win in November, that they're going to have to work with us on that. Um, but I don't think the even if it did, though, even if it did, even if it did, you know, as well as I do, H.R. 2 is a non-starter with Biden. Skeletor vetoes that in two seconds. Well, he also I mean, he's vetoed things that have been bipartisan as well. Just to add, you know, the Republican led <laughs> House passed to not have money in the federal government being vested into ESG passed the Democratic-led Senate, and the president vetoed it. So you're right. He would veto it. But we need to lead in the House. And if we refuse to lead in the House, Bob, then we're going to continuously get jammed by the Senate. And I just want to add one more thing. Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, we talk about $60 billion, $90 billion. That is a lot of money, money that I have no idea what it looks like and can't comprehend. 
is pretty much every uh, American in this country, even if you are a billionaire, I don't care. Um, but when, you know, when we talk about the national debt, I want to just make something clear. We have never lowered our national debt in our country's history since Ronald Reagan, since we started it, by ever messing around with discretionary spending. And a big part that's frustrating for me is that we don't talk about the elephant in the room. And Democrats have failed on this. Republicans have failed on this. And we need to take a look at what makes up 76% of the mandatory spending budget to make sure these programs are solvent for our older demographic, but that we're not spending more than what we're taking in. Because if we were a business, we would have closed our doors 30 years ago. We're $34 trillion in debt. And so while we talk about 60 or $90 billion, we really need to look at the programs that are costing us trillions of dollars every single year. And that is health care and Social Security. And we need to do so in a very responsible way and, and explain to, to the American people what is going on and what we can do in Congress to make it better and to actually save us from ourselves. But no one talks about that issue, and it drives me crazy. Because we can talk about the dinking and dunking here and there, even for supplementals. But that even isn't going to add that much debt. What is going to help save us from ourselves is being energy independent once again, being a natural gas exporter, and looking at the programs that are literally taking all of the money from the American taxpayer, and so much so that we've had to borrow trillions just to keep them solvent. That, that's the biggest pressing issue that I see now, and that will continue to happen, because if we don't, we're at 103% debt to GDP right now. If we hit 150%, no country in the world has survived that. And that is our trajectory, unless you address the elephant in the room, flat out. Congressman Miller, last thing. Um, I am so sick and tired of Republicans and Democrats saying that there needs to be a congressional fix to the border problem, that there needs to be uh, some sort of comprehensive bill or that there has to be massive spending to deal with our border when no one will bring up 212F. No one will talk about the Immigration and Nationality Act. You don't, you're not needed. No disrespect to you. you. We don't need Lankford. We don't need anybody. Biden unilaterally, through executive order, repealed 94 different Trump orders that gave us control of the border during the Trump years. Unilaterally. He had that power. He also has the power now to reimpose them. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests he may by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens, period, point blank. Why won't anybody on Capitol Hill just say that and just say, no, we're not going to take up this ridiculous border bill or that one. The power lies with the president. He did it on day one when he revoked Trump's orders. He can do it today by reimposing them. I, uh, Bob, I honestly believe that's what leadership and that's what the Republican conference is doing right now. I don't believe the supplemental is going to hit the floor just because that's what leadership has put out to the American public and to our conference. And I believe that we are looking at them saying, we passed HR2 and you just need to enforce the law as it is. And if President Biden would just enforce the law as the law already states, all these people are illegal immigrants coming into our country. It's flat out. The most that anyone can do, if we want to just be very direct with the American people, and this answer isn't good enough, we need to go back to the table and work on, on a better border package. And, and saying that we're going to put this on pause right now for the American people just because some people think it's a winning issue is dangerous and reckless and shouldn't happen. Our border needs to be closed as of two years ago or even three since this man became president. But when yeah. it comes to policy at the border, 
We need to draw back the power of the president. And I don't care if you're a Democrat president or a Republican president. They have too much power, and that is why I'm a co-sponsor and in, in pushing for something called the Reigns Act, which will limit the amount of power a president of the United States has with executive authority. Because no one should go in there on day one and sign 90 EOs undoing everything that made this country safe and secure. And that is exactly what happened. That power needs yeah. to be taken away and given back to the people and to members of Congress who actually get voted in by the American people. No, you know, you don't get appointed for this seat, and we are the pulse, and that's where it should be. Well, our representation uh, it needs to matter in this, absolutely. But while that power does rest with the executive, that we need to stop the charade that it, that it takes a piece of legislation and a massive trillion dollar or hundreds of billions of dollar spending bill in order to do something that he can do because he, he can undo, I should say, because of what he did. Um, Congressman Max Miller, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I know it was a very busy week for you guys, and there's more to come, but we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. 1031 now. We'll take a time out here. We're going to talk about Krauss in the House next. At least he wants to return to the Ohio. 5174. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is 1039 now on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks to Congressman Max Miller. Joined us last segment, hour number one, we had State Senator Jerry Serino about the absolute uh, chaos, I guess, that is now the norm in J- uh, Jason Stevens's Ohio House of Representatives. Ohio House of Representatives, excuse me, easy for me to say. Uh, one of the reasons for the chaos, of course, is the fact that Stevens has the gavel thanks to 22 de- uh, Demo- trans Democrats who sided with the actual identifying Democrats and uh, and undercut uh, the overwhelming majority that uh, gave this to uh, gave that gavel to Derek Marin. One of them is D.J. Swearingen. D.J. Swearingen has done a couple of decent things since that time, but he is still one of the blue 22. He lifted not a finger, neither did any of the others. When Senate Bill 83, Jerry Serino's important um, uh, Senate bill that uh, brings intellectual and ideological diversity to Ohio's college campuses, none of them did anything to try to force Stevens to bring that to a vote. It had already passed on the Senate side. It passed out of the committee on the House side. It was ready for a vote, and Stevens won't do it because it would make his Democrat masters upset. So for that reason, I am going to continue to advocate for the ouster of every single one of the Blue 22 trans Democrats. Joining us now is somebody who wants to join in that effort. He is primarying uh, DJ Swearingen in House District 89. He's a former House member himself, Stephen Kraus, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about this important campaign. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you, as always. So, Steve, um, I've been asking everybody, and I'm going to ask you the same thing before we get into the specific issue uh, that we are going to discuss uh, regarding your race. Everybody and anybody who watched last night has an opinion. Uh, did you watch the president in his primetime press conference or see a replay of it, and what are your thoughts? Well, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch it. I just caught a little bit of the glimpse of the news. I just think it's hilarious that now – the uh, powers to be, whether it's the deep state or the World Economic Forum or Obama, they're all throwing Biden under the bus because he's incompetent. They want to Article 25 him. And Biden's saying, no, 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 I'm competent. 
So which is it? We're going to throw him under the bus because he's incompetent, or are we going to hold him accountable for mishandling classified documents and send him to prison? Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, it's one or the other. You know, I mean, literally, the special counsel said he is too mentally feeble and um, infirm and unable to to stand trial. And he took the podium last night to say, "Am so? <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I am too able. I am too able. Okay. I'm, co- <laughs> I'm cognitively I'm able to, to handle jail. these things." Yeah, so then, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's bring the charges now. You said he willfully committed these crimes, but you weren't gonna, weren't gonna make him stand trial, but now he says he wants to. So that's how it all came out. Okay. So, Steve, let's talk about your race now. You've been there. You've done this. Uh, you had problems. You got out of there. And, uh, now you want another shot back in at this. Tell us about why you decided to run, uh, against DJ Swearingen for 89. Okay, and, and before I answer your question, I just got a little tweet from a birdie of mine, a political operative, mm-hmm. a pretty credible source, that Speaker Stevenson is going to be using the House caucus to uh, start a negative campaign ad on me on behalf of DJ, of course. Well, I'm not surprised. DJ, they're all, they're yeah. all in bed together. They're, well, literally, you know, DJ stays with Swearingen when he goes down there. You mean, you mean Stevens does? Yeah, Stevens. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he stays with DJ Swearingen when he goes, no, I, did, I didn't know that. No, uh, DJ stays down there, from what I understand. So, it, it's a very cozy relationship. But, why am I running this race? Well, you know, there's, there's several reasons, but you kind of alluded to it. I was elected to this office back in 2014. I defeated the most powerful Democrat in all of Ohio at the time. Happened to be Chris Redfern, the chairman of the Ohio Democrat Party in an upset election. Mm-hmm. They took me out, I believe, for political reasons. I got canceled before canceling was cool in 2015. I'm now back. I got my expungement. My opponent, DJ, tried to keep me off the ballot. Kind of sounds familiar, like what they're doing to President Trump. We won at the Supreme Court. They escalated this all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court and the Supreme Court with a 7-0 verdict. Slapped down DJ Hard and his tool that he was using for uh, his surrogate to uh, oppose me and uh, said, no, I'm free to be on the ballot. So I'm running to finish what I started, which one of the things I was working on back in 15 was before before you go before you go on there, Steve, hold on a second before you go on. How huge is that that it was seven to nothing? That even the Democrat, even the Democrats on the, the Ohio Supreme Court said, "No, you can't keep this guy off the ballot. He is absolutely eligible." That that's a huge it, moment. It, it is. It is. I mean, how often do you get seven people to agree on anything? <clears throat> and and uh, the fact that I got a seven zero, I believe it's God, Bob. You know, I I know that you're the sister station. I'm on the word. You're on the answer. But I believe God's hand is in this. Because how often do you get a seven-zero verdict on anything? Yeah. But uh, yes, they, Particu- they, they particularly in down. a divided, yeah, particularly in a divided court, you know, a, a Supreme Correct. Court like this. So yeah, that's that that is enormous. Anyway, so you're starting to say when you started this in 2015, pick it up. Yeah. Well, no, I was uh, interested in moving nuclear in, under renewables because there's this pot of money called renewables, and it's for wind and solar. Mm-hmm. You know, wind and solar is not baseload energy. Nuclear is, and if you're concerned about zero carbon, you should be all in for, and, and, and you should be supportive of nuclear. Well, 
I was just drafting legislation back in March of 2015 when I got on the hit list, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who happened to be the chairman of the National Democrat Party at the time. And she was telling people, and this was a nationwide hit list, but when she singled out Ohio, my name was there and this legislation was to be opposed. Now, why would the wind and solar advocates who, you know, talk about green energy and no zero carbon, why would they oppose my legislation? And why, when it wasn't even dropped, did she already have a draft of it and knew about it? So I want to finish that. But actually, um, my campaign, I'm rolling out what's called a JTAF. Now, I was military. I was 11 years active duty Air Force, another seven years as a contractor, traveled all around the world, spent time in the first Gulf War. Um, JTAF, acronym, Justice, Truth, and American Values. I'm going to bring them back to the Ohio 89th and also Columbus. I'm going to be bringing justice and truth and American values back to Columbus because it's sadly lacking. And um, the three points I want to really work on, besides the uh, unfinished business I have, is close the border. We have to close the border. End the property tax, as we know it today. And school choice doesn't go far enough. And, um, you know, you talk about Stevens for a moment, and you mentioned the chaos that's going down down the house. You know, the 22, the blue 22 are directly responsible for the Constitutional Amendment, Issue 1, being passed in November because they voted for the wrong leadership in January of 23, which caused a delay in bringing the special election, Issue 1, to raise the uh, amendment, uh, Constitutional Amendment vote from 50% to 60%. They wanted to do that in May of last year. And Stephen slow-walked that until August when everybody's on vacation and nobody shows up at the polls. Mm-hmm. They did that. They voted in bad leadership. Think about it as a team. You know, who gets fired if the team doesn't play right? It's the coach. Well, you got the coach down there, Stevens, and he's directly responsible for the chaos of last year. And the Blue 22 need to be held accountable. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. We're talking to Steve Krause. Steve is a former state representative who is uh, uh, back to challenge D.J. Swearingen for his spot on in uh, District 89, and D.J. Swearingen is one of the Blue 22. I'm curious when you said, you know, one of your issues is the border. Um, as a state representative in Ohio not being on the southern border, I know we have all argued well, it's not argued. It's not even an argument anymore. It's reality that we are um, uh, all border states now because of the number of people, uh, some 9 or 10 million, who have come here illegally, and they are being dispersed throughout the United States. But when you say you want to deal with the border, how do you do that from Columbus, Steve? Well, first of all, I agree with the other 20 or 22 states to send the National Guard down there to help uh, Governor Abbott. Secondly, the border crisis is killing us with the fentanyl and the human trafficking and the drug cartels. And we are physically a border state because we have Lake Erie and Canada's right across the lake. So there's things that we can do to better not only shore up our own business here, even though we don't have as big a problem as they have in the South. I see where in New York and some other states, border states, they're having problems with crossings from Canada. But I think we have to show solidarity with Governor Abbott and the other states in the South and make sure that they know that we stand with them. 
And if the federal government's not going to do their job, we as the states are going to do our job to protect the citizenry of the United States and Ohio. Let me ask you what can be done from Columbus for Cleveland and for um, you know the more violent cities in the state of Ohio. You, you, you've got on your page Kraus for the Ohio House District, uh, which for those who uh, want to see it is uh, KrausForTheHouse.com, Kraus, K-R-A-U-S, no E. K-R-A-U-S, KrausForTheHouse.com. You have on your issues page, Steve, uh, that you want to deal with and address the rise of violent crime. The rise of violent crime is real. Uh, we keep setting new homicide records in Cleveland every single year. And, um, you know, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with 350 uh, officers under budget. They can't staff it. Uh, you know, they can't seem to find enough because cops don't want to come in and work in Cleveland. Uh, and a lot of cops don't want to work anywhere, uh, you know, because they're afraid of what some people call the Ferguson effect. They're not going to get the backing. Uh, you've got uh, prosecutors refusing to uh, prosecute. You've got judges refusing to assign cash bail. All of these different things are leading to the rise in violent crime in a lot of cities. What do you do about that from the state level? Is there anything you can do to try to increase recruitment or help uh, you know, get law enforcement back on its feet? I think we have to let the officer know, the guy that's going out there on the beat every day that we have his back. Now, how you do that is difficult because they've created such a chaos in our government, both statewide and federal, but you have to incentivize that policeman or policewoman that they are going to be taken care of. Now, I'm not saying it's an easy job, but I know as a former military member, when I'm in that foxhole, my commander or my sergeant or my uh, the officer above me needed to instill in me that they had my back so that I could do my job. So I think, and maybe maybe it starts with a, a a talking tour, where you actually go into the precincts and say, "Look, we're going to give you the resources. We're going to find you the money. We're going to give you what you need, and we're not. And we're going to protect you when bad things happen. We're going to make sure. I mean, we have to follow the rule of law because if we don't have the rule of law, then we're not a civilization anymore." And that, unfortunately, what's happening. We have to follow the rule of law, and we have to back up our law enforcement who are going to do the right thing and hold the citizenry accountable. So it may start with a budget. It may start with a bill. It may start with extra uh, funding for the cops. But somehow we have to make it their, their – they have to believe – that we, as a, not only the citizenry, but we as the government, are behind them and support them. Yeah, well, they, you're right about that. That is extraordinarily important. That's why most of them don't want to do it because they don't feel like they have the support. Uh, and uh, and the risk reward factor is just you know the the, the balance is not there for them. Um, so last thing for you, um, again, because you were making a big part of your campaign that, you know, what DJ Swearingen has done and what DJ Swearingen stands for as a member of the Blue 22. If I were able to convince him to come on with me, would you do a debate with him on the radio? Absolutely. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 110%. 
I want to work Absolutely. on that because, uh, and 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 uh, he probably won't do it because he knows that I am indeed biased in this case, and uh, it's nothing personal uh, about you or about him. It is the fact that he is a member of the Blue Twenty Two, and he handed power to Democrats that are that are costing us right now. I mean, you you have on your page, Steve, and this is a, just kind of a playoff of that. Uh, you know, K twelve and university indoctrination is one of the issues that you want to address mm-hmm. when you get there. I'm assuming if you mm-hmm. were in play, uh, if you were in uh, Wednesday's uh, conference, you would have absolutely uh, backed and supported uh, SB eighty three to come to a floor vote uh, on the House. Absolutely. You know, which, which of course brings intellectual and ideological diversity to Ohio's college campuses. DJ didn't and won't. Um, give me a quick thought on that before we talk more about well, a potential debate. Well. DJ, you, you can trust DJ as long as he needs you, okay? And you saw that yesterday or Wednesday. He absolutely is carrying the water for the Democrats, but he's smooth and he's slick, and he, uh, you know, he's a lawyer, and unfortunately, I'm sorry for the lawyers, they're trained to lie. And he is not going to do, he's going to do just enough to keep the people of Erie and Ottawa County fooled. He's got a lot of good people up here fooled. And um, I want to I want to diverge for just a second. I want to tell you a quick story because see, I trusted DJ until I learned I could, and this was long before he became a state rep and went down there. And you know, he's never won an election; he's only won re-election. But over here in Erie County, he was the he was the vice chair of the Erie County Republican Party. Now the now county parties like the state party, you're trying to grow the party. They had 62 precincts. And they only had 29 filled. So in uh, 2018, they had to get the people back on the ballot, you know, the Central Committee members. They have to fill out their precinct petitions. Well, they disinvited the leadership of the Erie County Republican Party, including D.J., disinvited all the conservatives. So they went from 29 down to 11. Now, I would like somebody to ask D.J., how did you do that? Now, I know what he's going to say, because I asked him this before I submitted my petition. And he said, it wasn't me. It was the chairman and the old chairman of the party. And I said, okay, so let me get this right. You're the vice chair. You're driving the getaway car, but you didn't actually go in and hold up the teller with the gun. And you're an attorney, and you're telling me that's your excuse, that you don't have any culpability? So, Bob, he has a history of stabbing conservatives in the back long before he got to the Ohio House. He's just now made it on a big stage, and he's definitely carrying water for Stevens and the Democrats. That sounds like it would be a great uh, line for you to use and to give me to give him a chance to answer uh, in a debate format. So I want to I'm going to throw this out there. Any of DJ Swearingen supporters who are listening, and I know there are some, uh, please get a message to him. We're going to reach out. I'll have Seth reach out to him, but I would like to make this happen, and I want him to know, and I want you to know, Steve, that I will be an independent arbiter of this thing. I will not. Uh, like I said, I do have a bias. I'm very, very frustrated and angry with, and I want the blue 22 replaced, but. I'm not doing debating. I'm not doing arguing. I'm not doing counterpointing. I will ask questions and shut up and let the two of you answer one another. That's what I want to have happen, and we're going to try to make that happen um, because it's important. It's important for each and every one of those uh, 22, and I think 17 of them are, are actually uh, up for reelection now and, and who are not termed out or are not leaving. 
So I want this to happen for all of them. But Steve Krause and DJ Swearingen, I would like to be a primary one. Steve, uh, website again is Krause for the House. If you want to donate to his campaign and support Steve Krause, it's Car- Krause, K-I- I'm sorry, K-R-A-U-S, Krause for the House. And bringingamericabacktolife.org or call 440-529-4836. That's 440-529-4836. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, hour number three underway now, seven minutes past 11 o'clock on this Friday. It's been a free-for-all of guests and informative conversation. Not so many on the phone call side of things, uh, but we're going to continue in that realm. It is the ninth morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. The President of the United States is compromised. And what I mean by that is not in a typical way you might think of it, that he's under the control of somebody who is uh, pulling his strings and that sort of thing, uh, blackmail. No, no, no. He's compromised by his own age and his own mental acuity, his own limitations. That's the reality. Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but my staff, but my staff. <laughs> For months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Many American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is your judgment. That is your judgment. That is not the judgment of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What what is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. Do you believe that lies? Why are you refusing the names of world leaders? I did not share classified... I'm the most qualified person in the United States to finish the job I've done. What does the most qualified person in the United States sound like? There is some movement, and I don't want to... I don't want to... Well, maybe choose my words. There's some movement. There's been a response from the, uh, the, the there's been a response from the opposition. But um, it, it, yes, I'm sorry, from Hamas. But it seems to be uh, 
a little over the top. We're not sure where it is. There's a continuing negotiation right now. So he either mumbles and babbles incoherently, forgetting his train of thought, not having any idea what the question was, not remembering the names of the key players, not remembering the name of Hamas, fantasizing about conversations with world leaders who have been dead for years that never happened. Or he gets really, really angry when you call him on those things. Really angry. You just heard some of it. Is any real question why he won't do the pre-Super Bowl interview that presidents have been doing for years? He, he, he can't let himself be seen like this, can he? He can't let himself be seen before 50 million viewers and potential voters being completely incoherent and incapable of form, formulating uh, cogent thoughts and then expressing them verbally. He can't trust that. Let's see what Tim Graham thinks about that. Tim Graham is the executive editor at Newsbusters, of Newsbusters, rather, at the Media Research Center. Uh, good Friday to you, Tim. It's good to have you. How are you this morning? Good, thanks. So um, we all watched that show last night. Um, it was an unplanned press conference, hastily thrown together as a quick CYA and damage control, I guess, over the special counsel's report. Uh, what was your takeaway after watching that, Tim? Well, I mean, you're exactly right in that this is why they don't like putting him in front of the press. It's the memory lapses and the gaffes and the bumbles, and it's the angry. It's he can't. He's obviously yelling stuff like that's your opinion. No, no, no. It's seventy-five percent of the American people's opinion. You dummy. I mean, it, it, this is you know. It, the joke people were making was, well, Biden gets up here and says stuff, and Jake Tapper and CNN or Rachel Maddow doesn't say, well, we can't run this live because he's such a liar. Uh, because Biden lies without consequence. You know, they he's their liar, so apparently they can't they can leave him on. But let's just say this. We can't presume that everybody saw it. Obviously, us politically aware uh, people saw it. But there's a lot of Americans that didn't. So then you always ask yourself the question, and this is where we go back, and we'll say, well, let's look at this morning. Some of these networks are going to avoid that he missed, missed, missed uh, Egypt. And he messed up Egypt and Mexico, which is just another thing on the pile, right? Yeah. So he's he's missed. He's I met with Mitterrand in 2021 when he died in '96. I talked to Helmut Kohl. He died in 2017. You know, it's lots of sixth sense jokes now. But he, you only, know, only yeah, a year he, ago, Tim, only a year ago, he was looking for Jackie Malorsky in a crowd two weeks after uh, delivering a, a handwritten obituary for her death. Where, where's Jackie? Right. Where's Jackie? I, I, I didn't see didn't Jackie. She must that. not be here today. You have to understand, we always want to say this to politically aware people <laughs> your friends and relatives who are not politically aware haven't seen these clips. They haven't seen them because the networks avoid them. Just like when we just ran a medley on our website of all the times that the Biden people, Kareem Jean-Pierre, uh, Mallorca, say the border is secure. That is, that is blatantly false. Um, and they say it repeatedly. This is one of the reasons why they wanted to impeach Mallorca because he can't admit reality. Uh, and so... 
there's a lot of things like that where the bias by omission is intense. And so people who are on Twitter or Facebook or listening to talk radio or watching Fox or Newsmax or, you know, coming to Newsbusters, you're going to know these things. There's a whole lot of Americans who don't. Now, my wife, who's not the most politically aware people, but of people, but she does watch NBC News in the evening and the morning. She could just watch clips of Biden walking and go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, people have determined he is too old and he's asking for another four years. And nobody in the Democratic Party had the courage to run against him except you know, Marianne Williamson, the new age guru, which everybody wants to ignore, and Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota, who they have been ignoring aerobically. Well, uh, that's, 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 not, that's not entirely true. There was one uh, Democrat who wanted to run against him in, and primary him, and they refused to allow him to, and that's RFK Jr., which you, of course, yeah. you, who is now, who is now, you know, since he's been up, but they started seeing he was getting twenty percent, like right out of the shoot, without even starting a campaign yet, and comparing and contrasting himself with uh, with Joe Biden. So they booted him from the party, essentially. How dare you challenge our incumbent to the point where he had to go and uh, and become an independent candidate now, and he may screw it up for either Trump or Biden or both. I don't know how that's going to play out, but the point is, you're right. Um, if for some reason they were died, dead set, I should say, on running him and not allowing anybody, even RFK, to challenge him. And now I feel like they're probably kicking themselves, saying, now we're going to have to, over the course of the next three months, find somebody to replace him on this ticket. Well, and that's where conservatives and Republicans everywhere today are like, well, they're going to have to dump him. And I think we should wait and see, because... What options do they have, right? How how do they, like, oh, we're all going to turn to Gavin Newsom instead of Kamala. Well, how's that going to go over with their base? This is a real, this is for them a serious problem, no matter which choice they make. But, you know, the, 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 the bottom line here is, you're, you're right, Robert Kennedy Jr. still, when you include him in polls, is polling like 16 18%. And generally, when that happens, he ends up taking more from Biden because his name's Kennedy. He's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. If you know nothing about him, um, that he, that, you know, that he's anti-vax and and wacky, uh, uh, you can't really even locate him on a on an ideological spectrum. His fellow Kennedys hate his guts now, but yeah, he's a, you know, the Democrats, just as you said. This is the story our pro-Biden media isn't doing. The Democrats in, in parties in some of these states were like, nope, the, the ballot is Biden. Nobody else can get on it. These are all the same people who are trying to rip Trump off the ballot. They're not letting any other Democrats on the ballot. And then they come to us and say, well, you got to vote for Biden because he's for democracy. Yeah, well, that's that's very well said. Uh, we're talking to Tim Graham, who is the executive director of Newsbusters at the Media Research Center. Um, you know, so tell me what why you think because you and I were originally just going to talk about why he wouldn't do the Super Bowl interview, and then last night yeah. happened, which was, I guess, the answer to the question. <laughs> Here it is. So, if they wouldn't let him do the Super Bowl interview for fear of people seeing everything that you just pointed out, and you're right, the media has covered up all of his gaffes and all of his forgetfulness and literally falling asleep during speeches and and remarks. Um, 
uh, if the media, or excuse me, if his team wouldn't let him do the Super Bowl interview, why do you think they trotted him out there last night? Or why do you think they allowed him to go and do that last night when they knew it was going to be what they fear? I think the best guess is the president really wanted to do it. Uh, why would you hide him the way they've been aggressively hiding him? He hasn't had a real news interview since October. And we're no, in mid-February. No, you know, you're, you're 100% right, Tim, but they could have let him do it without taking questions. They could have put him in the Oval right. Office, put him there square, and give a nice, tight, uh, you know, three- or four-minute response. This is my response to the special counsel's report. I've been, uh, I've been, uh, you know, of course, he did come out there with his couple of little pages that said, on page 250, it said that I did not willfully do these documents. And on page 12, it said I did not. So he used that to cover... Uh, and to explain away the headlines that said special counsel finds that he willfully retained documents and uh, classified documents that he shared, but he chose specific examples of certain documents that were not willful, according to this. But my point is he could have done all of that behind the desk without a media, without a uh, you know crew of reporters there who are livid at never having access to him, uh, and instead they throw him out there in, in a completely un- uh, planned uh, scenario in which there were no pre-approved questions, no pre-approved questionnaires that he was going to call on, and they just let the, the sharks come at him. Yeah, and I, I love to say that the news media has no self-respect because they allow this to happen, and they don't make it an issue. We are in, how, we're past three years that he's been president. Joseph Biden has never granted an interview as president to the New York Times or the Washington Post, two of the most prestigious papers in America. Um, I mean, he hasn't really given any to a newspaper of, of note. He, he, he gave a softball interview to the Associated Press, and that gentleman, Mr. Josh Boak, should just be, like, banned from a newsroom for how bad his interview was. So soft, ridiculously soft. Um, which apparently is required. Uh, so in this case, yeah, maybe were they angry at the lack of access or were they maybe angry because <laughs> they were in the middle of dinner and they said, you've got to have a press conference now. <laughs> and they said, are you kidding me? You know, they and they didn't get to prepare. But they and were prepared. So, yeah, they didn't get to prepare, but they were prepared. You heard all of the shouts. Sure. You heard the same exact things. They were all saying, why are you forgetting names all the time? Why are you not knowing who's alive and who's dead? And they're all really, like I said, coming at him in a way that he has never seen before. And that's why he bared his teeth and actually was like, how dare you, uh, you know, come at me like this. So, um, so you know, the, the Super Bowl thing was going to be about as friendly and soft as it comes. Gail King. Huge, huge supporter, CBS, huge supportive network. I mean, right? I mean, why why would he be afraid of a friendly conversation? It wasn't going to be adversarial. He wasn't going to be questioned by Tucker Carlson. He was going to be questioned by Gail King, for crying out loud. You would think if he could ever look good in front of 50 million would-be voters, this would be the day on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if we know. We assumed it was going to be Gail King. We don't know it was going to be Gail King. She oh, I heard that yesterday. I thought show. it was. Ga- I apologize. Oh. I heard it. I so I oh. thought it was a given. Maybe I did. Maybe the person I'm, I heard it from was wrong. So I don't know. Well, I certainly presumed that that's who they'd go to. However, he has gone to Scott Pelley at sixty Minutes. They could have done that. Um, it would have been really natural for them to ask for Gail because Gail King not only was in the. The White House with Oprah on the night of Obama's inauguration. She vacations with the Obamas. She's donated to Barack Obama. That's the kind of person you'd want 
to do the Biden interview. She did interview Obama, regardless of all those conflicts of interest, for the Super Bowl. Um, so that's what we would all presume they would have done. Um, but, you know, well, it was you funnier know what, Tim, last year. Tim, Tim, you want to chase me down a rabbit hole here? Um, what A lot of people are suggesting that the reason they threw him to the wolves last night uh, is because Barack Obama himself has said um, he can't run anymore. He can't do this. And Obama has been the one who has been, you know, the power behind this throne for the last three years anyway, continuing on with the agenda that he started in 2008 to 2016. So so if, if we really want to be conspiratorial here, um, if Gail King is so tight with the Obamas, Gail King might do, and maybe this is what Joe Biden and his team are thinking, is that if it is Gail King, uh, she might come out there and do the bidding of, of, of Barack Obama and embarrass him. And, and just like embarrassed him last night, you, to, to force the American people to confront what he is and who he is and how he sounds so it forces him out so that Obama can, can uh, make way for whatever the, the next best alternative would be. Well, I love that as a, as a theory. I, you know, I, these and these recording these are recorded interviews they're not live um it's safer to do a recorded interview and you 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 know we'd love to say you know robert hurst said he forgot this and he forgot this well when he talks to scott pelley at cbs what did they edit out because we know they do that you know they edit out the damaging bits um yeah lots of people would come in here and say is obama really running this white house for example uh you know, you can have these grand conspiracy theories. And we have to remember, we have an establishment press that if they knew that, they wouldn't tell you. You know what I'm saying? They I do. Would not, they, yeah. So let's say this. We both we can remember Bush and Cheney in, uh, when Bush was president, where it was quite common for the journalists to say Cheney was really president. That was really routine business. That was sort of a snide... Bush isn't really President Cheney is line of of analysis. Um, you're not going to hear anybody on MSNBC saying Obama's really doing this. I think there was that feeling certainly in 2020 where suddenly we turned from February to March and Pete Buttigieg suddenly got out and Amy Klobuchar suddenly got out after talking to Democrat officials. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody smelled that was Obama. We don't know that. But uh, because they don't tell us these things, we don't know what Obama's no, but, but doing. But you know what? The people the don't need to know that part, though. The people, the, the the key here, just in my little conspiracy thing, I just came up with when we were talking, because you mentioned Gail King being so tight with the Obamas, is that the Biden people know it. If Biden's people yeah. know the reality that Barack is the one advising and essentially directing Joe Biden, um, you know that that you know they they would say, well, he may direct Gail King to grill him. Uh, just to force him out because that's what they want, and Joe doesn't want to leave. But this is what they're going to do; they're going to force it. So that's that's kind of you know where where I'm coming from with that. Hey, I've only got well, two minutes left here for you, Tim. Let me sure. let me pivot since we're talking about interviews. Do you have an opinion as the executive director of Newsbusters at the Media Research Center on Tucker's interview with Vladimir Putin last night? I don't mean the substance of it, just the uh, fact that he did it, because the left is going crazy and calling him a traitor uh, to the United States for daring to interview Vladimir Putin in the middle of this war with Ukraine. Well, I haven't seen it. I was pleased that he asked if he could bring home the American reporter with him. Uh, That, to me, was something he should have said. Uh, Look, how many journalists in America have interviewed Putin? Now, apparently none since he invaded Ukraine this time. 
He always tends to invade Ukraine when Democrats are in the White House. Uh, didn't do it under Trump. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we all remember, a lot of us remember, Megyn Kelly in her NBC days interviewed Putin. George Stephanopoulos interviewed Putin. Barbara Walters interviewed Putin. And in all those, none of those cases did the liberals say that they were traitors and that they shouldn't be allowed back into the United States. So, well, they would um, say they would say that he wasn't in the middle of a war that he started by invading another country at that time. The the examples I used, I tweeted last night a couple of others. You know that um, uh, Barbara Walters in 1977 went to Havana and interviewed Fidel Castro in the middle of his dictatorial regime and his mass killings and so forth. Then you had um, um, what was his name who went and interviewed um, uh, Osama bin Laden in 1997. Um, John Miller, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, right after Obama, and Osama Rather. bin Laden had declared that uh, you know a jihad against the United States. And another one, uh, Tim, is uh, they went and interviewed. Uh, and again, I'm flaking on the name right. No, it was Mike Wallace, I think, who went to um, uh, Tehran oh, and interviewed the yeah. Ayatollah in 1979, two weeks after they took American hostages, and they were all considered brave journalists for going into these foreign lands with these dictators and 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 killers and so forth to to bring the the truth to the american people but tucker carlson goes to moscow and he's a traitor yeah exactly so you're right there's there's a long history of this and we could say as americans we don't love it when american journalists go interview anti-american tyrants and they're generally going to be easier on them that we want. Why? Because they're afraid of the tyrants and what they'll do, and they're afraid that the guy will shut down the interview in a minute and a half. So they let him prattle on, and Tucker let him talk and talk and talk and talk, because when you interview a dictator, you let them speak for eight minutes because you're afraid you're gonna, they're going to stop your interview. And, and well, so Moreover, I, me, I think if you're Tucker Carlson in, in Moscow with Vladimir Putin, ex-KGB, you're, yeah. more, you're worried more that he's going to slap cuffs on you and, and yeah. arrest you if you dare interrupt him and then if you dare get in the way of his narrative of, of Russian history the way he was doing. I mean, seriously, I would be afraid more that I would be arrested and thrown in prison with the other journalists than I would that he's going to kill my interview. Yeah, that too. I'm just saying it does, <clears throat> it does make these interviews be a little too soft you know, than other people would like. And you could certainly compare it to, you know, uh, well, you're tougher on this guy and you're tougher on that guy than you were with Putin. Um, And that's easy to do. But yes, there's a long history. I like to go to Dan Rather interviewing Saddam Hussein and asking dumb questions like, "Um, Mr. Hussein, say some words to us in English. You know, what? you're wasting everybody's time. I forgot about Rather and, and Saddam. Thank you for that one. I'll add that to my list. Uh, like I said, I tweeted a bunch of these yesterday, but it's really important. Uh, Tim Graham, Executive Director of um, uh, Newsbusters at the Media Research Center. Make sure you follow that uh, page at mrc.com. Is it .com or .org? I apologize. Org. Uh, org. mrc.org. Make sure you follow their important work there. Tim, thank you. I pre- State Health Insurance Program to get information on all of your options. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, final segment is underway. we got 10 minutes of uh, opportunities for phone calls. 216-901-0945, So let's get after it. Uh, Frank is in North Royalton. Hi, Frank. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Good, Frank. Good. I listen to you all the time. i got a question for you. Sure. Why does conservative radio, TV, 
in that why do they want to get rid of Biden and say they should invoke the 25th Amendment or he shouldn't be president and all this stuff? Why wouldn't we want him to stay there? Because if not, and they put Michelle Obama in there, we're toast. Uh, Trump's not going to beat beat her or any other Republican. Not going to beat Michelle Obama. She's going to well, get all I the can't black speak, votes back again. Yeah, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'll give you my reason for saying I want to invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment because they can't appoint Michelle Obama if if uh, if they invoke the 25th Amendment. If the 25th Amendment were to apply and he were to be removed from office because of incompetence or inability to serve, it automatically goes to the vice president. I would love for Kamala Harris, the vice president, to be the president for a few months, because then just in those few months, you know what that makes her? The incumbent. She's the incumbent nominee, the automatic nominee for the Democrat Party in November, and she would be defeated in probably Mondale-like fashion, uh, okay. in my view, because uh, she is so disliked by even people in her own party. So I don't want them to just replace Biden uh, where, where they have the choice of picking somebody like Michelle Obama to replace him. I want us to use the 25th Amendment and have him declared incompetent so she automatically ascends to the presidency. We can survive her for a few months and then make sure we defeat her in November. Right, but they can they push this along all the way till what they say till like July or something like that, and uh, the DNC or whoever can put whoever they want in at that time, or would would Kamala take over at that time? Well, too? no. If there's a Twenty Fifth Amendment and it were to go through, it would happen immediately. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, and again, that immediately it would take a little bit of time. But I mean, yeah, that might happen in April or May or June or something like that. But it, it would just automatically default to her as the vice president under Twenty Fifth okay. Amendment scenario. But if it's an but, under under a voluntary step down where where it's not Twenty Fifth Amendment driven, but he just says, you know, I'm tired and I've I've done my time. And I've served my country well, and I'm going to move aside for the next generation or whatever. Then they get into a case where now the DNC would have their own private vote on who they're going to have right. as their nominee. I got you. Okay. All, all right. right. All right. That would be more sense. dangerous because then that would be a Michelle situation, and I think we all know how <laughs> you, that could go. So you, thank you, you better believe that. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Frank. Appreciate your call. Uh, Gina is in Akron next. Gina, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I don't propose to know how the process is to invoke the 25th Amendment, but let's just say, if I'm understanding, it is the cabinet. We're talking about this man's cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment. The same people who have held from the American public this man's damaged brain for three years, including the basement candidacy. My personal opinion is every one of those cabinet members from the White House doctor on, should be stripped of their duties and charged. They have absolutely caused this country to be in a situation where we have World War III knocking at our door, uh, an open border, terrorist attacks are possible, not to mention every uh, domestic issue that's going on. This, this is not even possible that we could rely on these people who have prevented me, an American citizen, from having a commander-in-chief that can do his job. Well, you're right. Um, there is a there is a lot of accountability there. Um, it, it, but it's not just the, the cabinet. I mean, you make great points, but it, I, I still think that the real, you know, the real uh, p- 
engineers of the Biden puppeteer presidency are people who are yeah. not public, people who are not, you know, uh, uh, you know, support staff or cabinet staff, even. But they're the they're the ones behind the throne. And I'm talking about people. I firmly believe this that Barack Obama, along with some of his global partners at the WEF, the, the World Economic Forum, at the, the United Nations, and the you know the open open uh, 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 the Soros Society, uh, all of these individuals who are the the the, the globalists that. Barack partnered with for his eight years in an attempt to essentially take American um, uh, uh, independence apart and, and to make them submit to a kind of a global world order. I think those people are the ones who are who are, who are giving us Biden in the first place. It's the only reason they propped him Absolutely. up in the first place. You know, he, he failed so many times trying American to run for president public. before. Absolutely. And we as the American public, I'd like to know who the quote unquote they are who are running this country. I, I, I mean, I can't even imagine. This is the greatest calamity that has ever truly happened to an American presidency, ever. I mean, Nixon has nothing on this. Uh, this is the greatest calamity because we do not know, as the American people, who is running our government. No, we do not. And and that that is more than a calamity. That is, a, you know, I, I think that's an absolute um, intentional um Elimination of America, the Americans' representation. We send these people to Washington. We send these people to, whether it be in the congressional side or the executive side, we send them there to represent us. And if we don't know who they are actually answering to, it, it kind of takes our, you know, it, it, what I would call it, honestly, Gina, it's what the left likes to say every time they, that Donald Trump does something. They say it's an attack on democracy. This is a true, this is a true denial of the American people, the right to democratic involvement when we don't even know who it is that is running our country. Agreed. So I think you're, that's very well said. Gina, thank you. I appreciate your call. John next in Chardon. Hi, John. Go ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. Hi, John. With reference to Joe Biden, I'm reminded of the popular Scottish poet Robert Burns when in 1786 he penned his most famous quotation when he said, and I paraphrase, if only some power would give us the gift to see us as others see us, see ourselves as others see us. And that's, uh, I mean, I, as for me, I, I've got friends that tell me that, and, I, and you do too, and a lot of people do. But for Joe Biden, <clears throat> it's way too far a prayer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're right. I think you're right, my friend. It is way too far. John, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. TJ in Cleveland is up next. Hi, TJ. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, you were absolutely right about this 25th Amendment. This is a dilemma for the Democrats. They want to get rid of Joe, there's no doubt. But if they do, then Kamala becomes the incumbent. Now you have a woman of color that broke the glass ceiling. Now, down the line, you're going to have to take this woman that broke the glass ceiling and kick her to the curbside for somebody else. That's not going to play out real well. This is going to be really interesting, and I think the Democrats are between a rock and a hard space, no matter what they do. Well, the only way they they kick Kamala to the curb, again, is if they replace her with somebody like her, meaning a female of color. Uh, you know, and I say that because I can't call Kamala black. She's not an African American in any way. She's you know half Indian and half Jamaican. Um, but but at any rate, she's a person of color, as they say. And so the only way you make this right with the progressives and uh, you know the the racial identity and the political you know the identity politics on the left is to replace her with another another female of color. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.